Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Chronic pain is estimated to affect more than 100 million Americans. To put that into perspective, that's more than the number of Americans affected by diabetes, heart disease, and cancer combined. And yet, despite the prevalence of chronic pain and the amount of money it costs our healthcare system, chronic pain is often overlooked or marginalized because pain is individual and invisible, which can make it difficult to understand and treat. A new documentary called Pain Matters, which premiered on the Discovery Channel November 16th and which will re-air December 7th and 14th, attempts to bring chronic pain out of the shadows, discussing the issue with healthcare experts and profiling several individuals who have battled chronic pain. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, we'll talk to three people interviewed in the Pain Matters program, Dr. Melanie Rosenblatt, American Chronic Pain Association Executive Director Penny Cohen, and Iraq War veteran Derek McGinnis. We'll also hear from physical therapist John Garzion. Each of our guests provides insight into chronic pain itself and the evolving approach to its treatment. They also offer advice to those suffering from pain, as well as advice for the friends and family who often care for them. A reminder, of course, that advice from our panelists is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. With that, we begin our episode with our first guest, Dr. Melanie Rosenblatt to get an overview of how treatment for chronic pain is evolving. Near the beginning of the Pain Matters documentary, you describe pain as an illness, and considering that more than 100 million Americans are living with chronic pain, it makes sense to think of pain as its own condition, but it also seems to me that most of us think of pain as the side effect of something else. There's sort of an indication that there's a bigger problem going on. Is recognizing chronic pain as kind of its own distinct illness a crucial step we need to take to improve how pain's treated and then also to change the way patients look at themselves, people who are suffering from pain? Absolutely. So chronic pain is in and of itself a chronic illness. Now, Often we can find the source of pain. We know that there are many causes of chronic pain, including an accident or injury that doesn't heal, including cancer, osteoarthritis, neuropathy, fibromyalgia. But oftentimes we can't find the cause of the pain, but it still is a huge problem. It needs to be identified as just that. Chronic pain is its own disease. So almost all the people profiled in Pain Matters suggested that, in retrospect, they, they had lived with too much pain for too long. And so my question is, how does someone tell when they're in a position where they need to take chronic pain seriously as something itself, that it's not just this sort of little nagging thing that they should just try and suck up and live through, that it's really something that they should get treated for? Right. So sometimes chronic pain is just annoying. You know, we all wake up with a little nag, a little back pain, a little bit of eh, discomfort. But when it gets to where it is affecting your life, where you can't do your normal activities of daily living, where you need help carrying out the simplest of tasks, where you can't work, where it's affecting your other relationships in your family, I think it's well beyond the point of needing to be treated. Is the problem or the challenge, I guess, for so many patients that those things build on one another gradually? So, for example, a span of five years may go by and you've gone from a little bit of pain to a lot of pain, but it's happened so gradually that you don't realize how deep you're getting? 
Yeah, I think that's true. I think it happens in most cases slowly, and patients find themselves gradually doing less and less, and they're afraid to be a burden, so they don't want to ask others for help, and they're reluctant to report their pain, and they're just sort of hoping it'll go away on its own. And yes, I think it can happen very gradually. I realize it's just a handful of stories, but I was struck with the frequency that people mentioned that they had thoughts of suicide because their pain got so bad. Chronic pain is often thought of as a physical thing, but it's a psychological, emotional, and a social issue too. Is that correct? Absolutely, that's correct. And I think patients, like we said earlier, this happens gradually, and I think people tend to gradually isolate themselves more and more because they can't do their activities, and they don't want to be a burden, so they tend to isolate themselves, and that can lead to this downward spiral of withdrawal from social interactions, from not carrying on physical activities, from making a choice between, well, if I want to go get the mail later, I better not get off the couch now. It could be very isolating, and it can lead to depression and, in many cases, suicide. How do we encourage those patients to come forward, and, and maybe a better way of looking at that is what can the whole healthcare system do better to make those individuals receive the care that they need? So I think the individuals can take more of an active role in their care. The simple awareness that there might be something else out there that could help them, I think a lot of patients give up and they think, I've already tried everything, there's nothing else they can do. I think on a societal level, there needs to be an increased awareness of pain and pain management. And I think in having a broader conversation and educating our, our public, our physicians, our patients, I think educating even in medical school, medical students don't get a whole lot of education on pain management. So I think the more a patient is aware and the more a physician is aware, the better the outcome will be. And then that treatment plan, one of the concepts was really kind of treating the whole patient, not just looking at the pain, but looking at their living environment. Can you describe that concept and how we know now to most effectively treat chronic pain? So the patient isn't a pain patient, they're a person with pain. And I think that's often overlooked, that there's a tremendous psychological interplay with both the pain and the emotional reactions to the pain. When we treat other patients with pain, we like to utilize multiple modalities, not any one single modality. So it's not just the prescription pain medicines, which may or may not be appropriate, but there's also the physical activity. There's the uh, interventional procedures when appropriate. There's the psychological approaches to treating the patient. And then there's the complementing alternative approaches that have a role as well. What don't we know about the treatment of chronic pain that would be most helpful if we could learn it? Oh, it would be great if we had just, you know, one quick fix that could take it away, right, if we could just program the brain to not feel it. So we're not there yet. Is that realistic? I think there's a lot of treatment that aims at tricking the brain into not perceiving the pain. And I think we have some steps toward that, yes. Building off on that idea, if we're tricking the brain not to feel pain, are we putting somebody in danger by doing that? Or sometimes it seems, and this is one of the things that got brought up in the documentary, sometimes pain is not an indication of someone's actual physical health. It's essentially a warning sign that's going out when it doesn't need to. Is that accurate? Pain is a very useful signal, and pain is wonderful when it is meant to keep us away from harm. And that's true of acute pain. Chronic pain just doesn't light up, and they're different. So, no, I don't believe that overlapping or, or masking or treating or managing chronic pain will put somebody in danger of hurting themselves. So to the person that's had that chronic pain, they've dealt with it for a long time, they've tried everything, and they haven't seen the, the results that they want to see, what should someone in that position do? The person in that position should know that there is hope, that there is treatment, and go find a provider who understands how to treat chronic pain. Melanie Rosenblatt, thank you so much. Thank you. Our next guest, Penny Cohen, can relate to the feeling of isolation that can come with chronic pain. 
Penny herself has suffered from pain, and in 1980, she founded the American Chronic Pain Association. In this segment, she describes some of the ways that the ACPA helps people with chronic pain describe and express what they're going through, both to healthcare professionals and to one another. Penny, the Pain Matters documentary focuses on pain itself, obviously, the sensation of physical discomfort, but what really stands out in each of the stories that the patients tell in that documentary is the emotional toll of chronic pain. What are some of the reasons why chronic pain is so devastating emotionally? You know, I think there's there's a couple reasons. I think the first one is we expect ourselves to respond to what our medical health care providers do for us. We think, you know, they're going to give us a pill or a treatment and it's going to work. And so often we hear it should have worked. You should be feeling better and we're not. So in some sense, I think part of us feels like we failed the medical community. I think the other part of it is that pain is invisible and no one can see it. And so people with pain tend to always be on the defense trying to defend their pain. And, you know, it's so important to be believed, to be validated, for someone just to say, I understand you have pain. I may not see it, but I I get it. So I I think that's the biggest problem is, is it's invisibility. And also, it's never consistent. So they have good days and bad days. So their level functioning is up and down, which only adds to the confusion. And that makes it a really difficult condition to describe to a physician or any medical healthcare professional that, that somebody comes in contact with. So the American Chronic Pain Association, you've developed some tools to try and help patients describe or chart their pain, what they do well, what they don't do well. Tell me about some of those tools. Sure. We have graphical tools. They're very easy to use. The one is, you know, where is my pain and how does it feel? You know, that one in itself, just trying to describe your pain is really difficult. So we've designed one of our tools, we call it the fibro person, but anyone can use it. And you click on part of the body where your pain is, and there's a drop-down menu, and it'll actually give you different sensations on how it feels, whether it's stabbing, aching, deep throbbing. And then you can actually put the level of pain. You can do your right side, left side, and then flip it over and do the back, right side, left side. You can print man or woman, and then print it out. So what that does is it captures an entire picture and there's little icons above each of the sensations, it captures that entire picture of your body, where the pain is, how it feels, and the intensity of it. So instead of trying to sit there and explain it, because the most important thing for people's pain is they want that validation. They want to be believed. And so it's really important for people to understand that this is exactly where the pain is. The other thing that we have is we call our pain log. And what that does, it actually measures. It's an interactive tool on our web page. And so it's going to go through a number of different measures. It's first going to measure your pain score because people need to have that one. That's sort of the validated measure. But then we're going to talk about their stress, their quality of life, their activity, their sleep, their mood, how isolated they become, their appetite, are they taking their medication as prescribed, their side effects, constipation, sexual activity, how concerned they are about their finances and how much alcohol they drink. All of those things we're going to measure over a long period of time and they can actually print those out on a chart and they can take it into their healthcare provider. 
first of all, it's going to show them, you know, where the pain is impacting their daily life because the whole idea of living a full life with pain is to improve the quality of your life and increase your function while reducing your sense of suffering. So by using this tool, they can begin to see when there's certain behaviors, whether it's that they're not sleeping well or maybe they're not exercising or maybe they're not not eating right or taking their medication as prescribed, pains are spiking. So they can begin to see by these charts, these graphs, exactly where the pain is, exactly what behaviors may spike it. So it begins to help people see that there's actually something where they can focus their attention on. I think the other part of that is it's really hard for a person with pain to see that they're making any progress at all. And so by doing this, people will actually be able to see that their pain levels are going down, even though other things, maybe their their pain level is staying the same, but they're able to function better. And it's almost like trying to watch your hair grow. I mean, we know we could stand in front of the mirror forever and try to see if it grows, but we can't. It's so slow we don't see it. And I think that's the same with pain. We may be making progress, even though we know we had pain yesterday, we had it a year ago, we may have it tomorrow. When we have something that we can actually begin to measure, not just our pain, the quality of our life, the ability to function, it begins to show us that maybe we're making progress in spite of the pain. Those tools really do a great job of putting the patient in a position where when they meet with their healthcare professional, they can say, this is what hurts, this is how long it hurts, all of that. And, and getting out of that kind of individual isolation to be able to connect with a medical healthcare professional is obviously hugely important. On the other hand, another thing that your association does is really focus on getting people with chronic pain together, not to worry about the treatment plan, which obviously is somebody else's realm, but to worry about letting them hear one another in terms of what they're going through. Tell me about that. And it's a big part of living with chronic pain, especially if if you're just at the beginning of that journey or you've never really talked to anyone else who has pain. Pain is extremely isolating. People don't realize when we're not 100%, we tend to pull away. We, When we don't function, we pull away. And so we begin to believe, and I'm also a person with pain, and I know how that feels, that unless you can do something, you don't want to go out into public. So we begin to pull away and we isolate and believe that we're the only person in the world who has pain. And when we can walk into a room where it's filled with other people who are also living with pain, and they look normal. I mean, they look like everyday people because pain's invisible. You can't see it. And it begins to give you that sense of real validation, like I'm not the only person in the world. There are other people out there, and they look just as normal as I do. And then when we begin to share these stories and realize the impact that pain is having on their lives, we don't talk about the pain, the physical symptoms, because there's nothing we can do about that. And we don't provide any kind of medical treatment or advice. We're in addition to any medical treatment that people are receiving. But the bottom line for so many of these folks is they've been told to learn to live with it. But the question becomes, how do you do that? You know, we don't know that. It's not something that we instinctively know. So we have to be taught. So we use workbooks, writing group to teach basic coping skills to help people begin to move from the mindset of a patient back to a person. So the groups validate them, helps them to realize that all those things they're struggling with are not that unusual, they're not crazy, and then also to give them the tools they need, the coping skills, so that they can begin to move forward on their journey from patient back to person again use the expression learn to live with it and it's an interesting one because on the on the one hand you're right someone with chronic pain does need to learn to live with those symptoms and and really truly live with those symptoms rather than just sort of sit and suffer through them 
On the other hand, one of the things that came across in that Pain Matters documentary is the number of people who have these extreme symptoms and live with them along the standpoint of they basically give up in terms of their medical treatment. They assume that some, nobody will be able to help them. They assume that pain is a constant and it can't get better. Mm-hmm. How does one draw the line between accepting that they have pain and living with it, but not getting into an area where they're kind of giving up and assuming that things can't improve? I think it's all in the expectation that we have. And most of us want 100% of everything. And it's hard for us to accept the fact that there may always be some level of pain in our lives. And what I mean by that is, I mean, I went to a pain management program, and I actually went there, it was, what, 34 years ago, but I went there to fail because I was ready to give up. I believed nothing was going to ever help me again, that I was never going to be able to live a full life. But what I didn't realize is that actually people can teach me how to live with pain. And there may always be some level of pain, but the goal of pain management is to improve the quality of life, increase your function, and reduce your sense of suffering. And so I think we have to first accept the fact that maybe there may be some level of pain in our lives for today. But that doesn't mean tomorrow it may not be better. Who knows what medicine is going to discover? But if we don't begin to accept the fact that we may have pain and then take an active role in our own recovery and really be an active participant in our healthcare rather than that passive patient, because that's where so many people get stuck. We're that passive patient who's waiting for someone to fix us and it doesn't work when it comes to chronic pain. We need to become an active participant and say, okay, this is what you've done for me. Now, what do I need to do? And again, I think that's where the ACPA plays an important role in teaching those coping skills, bringing people together who actually get it, that understand, even though you look good, the smallest little activity may actually be very difficult for you today. So I really think that people need to know that they're not alone, but the expectation is you may always have to live with some level of pain, but that doesn't mean your life is over by any means. You mentioned your own personal experience with pain, and that prompted you to found the ACPA back in 1980. How much has the popular understanding of chronic pain changed over these last decades? You know, I wish I could say, oh, it's really changed and people are looking at people with pain a whole lot in a different way, but I don't think that's happened because it's an invisible problem that you can't see it. Ask yourself, what does a headache look like? What does a backache look like? There's no way to tell. And again, because people's level of functioning is on again, off again, we're never quite sure it's not consistent. I think we always think the worst of people sometimes. And when people with pain are hurting, even though they look okay, it's really hard to understand. I know that in the survey that we did, nine out of ten people that have pain said it disrupts their lives in some way, but yet they have to turn to their friends and their family for help, mostly their family, and families are struggling just as much with how can I help them and still live my life, and I think that's a real big problem here as well. And so I don't think when you step back from society that they can see all the issues that are being created by having to live with pain because, remember I said, people's pain are very isolated and they're not going to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. And that was also in our survey that, you know, most people don't want to talk about it. Family members, unfortunately, don't even want to hear about it anymore. But it's something that's in our lives and we have to learn how to cope with it again. That's why these peer groups or acceptance. You don't have to define who you are. You're already there. You have pain, so let's get to work and figure out how we can live with it. So we don't have pain meters installed in our arms and there's not necessarily a 
cure-all drug that can fix all these things. So that said, when you mentioned that things haven't changed all that much, what's the thing that seems within our grasp, and if we only did that, whether either as a medical community or as a society, we take a significant step forward in our understanding of pain and our understanding of how to get beyond it. What's the step forward? It's a big next step because I think for us, and it's always been for the American Chronic Pain Association, that balanced approach to pain management. If we go back to the expectation, most people are just thinking all I need is that one magical pill. And that's where so many people get stuck. And unfortunately, healthcare providers have never really been trained to help people live with pain. They've been trained to prescribe and do procedures, but they really have not been given the tools on helping people live with pain, nor do they have the time. So I think the next big step and the only one, the next natural step that we need is to really begin to look at pain management as a multidisciplinary approach, that that medication may work. And, And we use an analogy of a person with chronic pain is like a car, except their car has four flat tires. Our expectation, and even that of the healthcare provider, I'm going to give you a medication that's going to fix it. Problem is it only puts air in one of our tires, and that may give us 20 or 30% relief, and that may be all that medication is going to give us. Let's leave it there and ask ourselves, what else do we need to fill up those other three tires? And for each person, it's going to be different. It might be physical therapy. It might be counseling. It might be stress management. It can be a whole host of other modalities that people need. And when we get all four of our tires filled, it's our job to maintain our car. We don't take it back to the dealer and say, wash my windshield, fill it up. That's our job. If something goes wrong with our car, then we take it in for checkup. Because pain management's not just that one thing. It's a combination of a number of different modalities. That's the next step is the balanced approach to realize that for each person, the formula is going to be different, and it's a combination of different therapies that need to be applied. That car example is a great way to think of it. It perfectly illustrates that. That said, for the person who feels like they haven't been heard, feels like they've been marginalized, feels like they've tried things and haven't worked for them, what's some parting advice? What do you tell that person who's still living in pain, feels like they've tried, and is on the verge of giving up? Well, I think for us what we tell them is call us, and we have a toll-free number at 800-533-3231. And we actually answer our phone, and we can hook them up with a support group in their area. We can send them a wealth of information about pain management. We have a number of videos and audios and graphical tools on our webpage. They're all free. Our webpage is www.theacpa.org. That's theacpa.org. And all of the information on our webpage is all free. So just reach out and say, I need help, and we're here to help them. That's what we've been doing for 33 years, and we're going to continue to do that. Penny Cohen, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. We continue our exploration of chronic pain now with Derek McGinnis, whose brush with death in Iraq and subsequent battle with pain is grippingly chronicled in Pain Matters, which you can watch online at painmattersfilm.com. Derek's story would be worthy of its own episode, but in this interview we get a sense of just how significant it is for someone suffering with chronic pain to have their pain validated, understood, and appreciated by their health care providers. As you'll hear, it's an emotional connection that can be the key to a person's physical improvement. Derek, you were in Iraq during the Second Battle of Fallujah, Operation Fan of Fury. The Humvee you were riding in was struck by a suicide driver in a vehicle rigged with explosives. You suffered multiple injuries one of which was the amputation of your left leg above the knee. In the Pain Matters documentary, you talk about sort of getting over those initial injuries, but then after that, 
there was sort of a second wave of your recovery. You're, you're going through pain. Maybe those initial wounds are healed, but you're continuing to experience pain. And beyond that, you're suffering from the emotional and psychological scars, not only what you've been through, but of the pain itself. In the documentary, you mentioned sort of when your battle with pain began as sort of this everyday presence in your life. Take me back to that moment of realizing that things are not improving, you're not satisfied with the way you're feeling, and and you're wanting to lessen and reduce the pain in your life. Those days and coping with pain were so difficult, as I recall, and I still do. Fundamentally, when I was struggling to cope with the pain in my left leg, dealing with the neuroma as well as the bone growth and emotional issues that connected with it just encompassed my whole being and my whole body. Um, I remember reaching out for support and some help and those feelings of not being believed were were very, very uh, difficult to bear as well as coping with the day-to-day life of not being able to function and feel and perform to what I felt I should be able to. I felt so hindered by the pain that I was coping with and it was my focus for everything in my life was getting this resolved and getting fixed and I wasn't getting the answers that I needed at that time. It was a fight to find the help and I'm glad and grateful to this very day I was met by a provider that listened, fundamentally listened to my journey and addressed the pain but also me as a whole and all the other injuries and things I was coping with at that time. Yeah, you said it was at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio that things seem to start getting better. And let's talk about being listened to and somebody hearing and understanding what you're going through. Was it difficult for you to describe what you were feeling? It felt like I was beating a dead horse. I felt I told my story to, to many different providers of all sorts of disciplines, and every single time it was the same thing. And, and almost the feeling of, well, I'm going to give up, and I'm going to tell you, and, and I was almost robotic by the time I, I got to Brook Army Medical Center. Well, this is the feeling, this is the sensation, this is what I'm coping with. Do you have any ideas, any advice, anything that you can give, maybe, hopefully? Almost that I was not expecting much. I was very robotic in my description of my pain, and I felt that I was going to have hope, but I was still at that edge where, please, God, may this be the right decision, and maybe I'll be listened to, and maybe this will be right. And when that turned out to that case, my whole perspective shifted, and it changed. I was so motivated again. I was engaged. I was surprised. I was grateful that I wasn't in my head. I wasn't alone. I had a team. I wasn't Derek with the pain problem. I was just Derek, and I was moving forward to find some resolution. God, I'm grateful that that happened. So when you say you're feeling not heard, you're robotic at that point, and now you are heard, and you say the impact of that obviously was huge, a a big emotional barrier and got your motivation back, how could you tell that you were understood this time? What felt different? How did they listen better where others hadn't? I think I might have been ready as well, as well as the providers were ready, as well as, in this case, the doctor. Just his bedside manner, all right, I hear you, and the validation piece. I'm hearing what you're going through, but it felt so real. It wasn't pity. It wasn't avoidance. It wasn't fear. It wasn't projection. It was a relationship. It was a conversation. And from that point, after so much time of sensing resistance to to me with other providers, and obviously some of it I own as well in my ways and struggle and coping with the pain and everything else came behind it, this time I felt like I was part of the team. I was listened. I was accepted. I wasn't dismissed or shunned or avoided. And that, even before we begin any test, that conversation and that calm and that time got me to buy in and trust and continue to move forward. Describing what was different, it was a conversation that I was ready to hear 
you know, I was grateful that was shared with me. You talked about feeling like part of a team. It seems like one of the keys, too, in your experience at Brook Army Medical Center being so much better than it had been in previous instances was that they seem to really take a whole person look at your treatment. So not just looking at, say, your physical injuries, but approaching you from an emotional perspective, from a psychological perspective, from a physical perspective, and, and treating your pain holistically, looking at all those things. Give me a sense of the different kinds of treatment you were receiving as part of that sort of whole patient approach to resolving your pain. So right there was addressed differently. The primary one was, first of all, my family. My wife was brought in. We decided a lifestyle choice to move together. So my primary support system with my newborn son was with me. So emotionally, I had a partner that could help me listen and, and move. My traumatic brain injury and some of the mental health services to help me with memory and, and life was also addressed, as well as the emotional tools, what tied the pain to my depression and anxiety and other things I was coping with from my experiences. So the, the traumatic brain injury, the mental health therapy, the counseling, the spousal support, being amongst like-minded individuals who understood what was going on, my fellow peers and cohorts, we were embraced together in a military manner, if I may, and, and challenges each other to move forward and hearing what each and other one of us was coping with and learning how we strategized to move forward with whatever our goals was was huge as well. And fundamentally, of course, CAM therapies, I still use that today, biofeedback as well as meditation. And physical therapy was poignant for me. I was my biggest outlet in swimming, exercise, controlling what I could control having the support of the therapist with me in the pool, at the track, and with core strengthening inside the gym. And fundamentally, surgery became an option for me where they removed the deroma from the distal end of my leg and took out the remainder bone spore that was triggering some of the pain in, in my distal end. Prior to that, diagnostically, they were able to use a nerve block to identify the potential troubled areas. And from that point forward, I was able to continue to process and receive the care and supports that I'm grateful to have gotten. And today, learned to manage it and forever be grateful to that provider that day that had that conversation with me and, and listened. So for those who haven't seen the documentary, give me a sense of how far you've come since your initial injuries, both physically and then also emotionally. In my life, fundamentally, after my experiences, I have gotten a second chance at life. And I am so grateful and blessed that the Marines and sailors on my left and, and right that day saved my life. And from that point forward, rehabilitating through the healthcare system that I've received and supports of education. Today, I'm grateful to serve and work. I'm grateful to exercise. I'm grateful to run races. I'm grateful to help fellow veterans. I'm grateful to be a dad primary one and raise my three boys in a value set that I believe in honor. And if it wasn't for my life being saved, as well as my pain and other recovery processes to be addressed, I could honestly say that I wouldn't be able to sit here and, and speak with you. And for that, I'm so grateful to be alive and, and to be here and, and uh, to be moving forward. How much is a battle with pain still part of your life? You mentioned that you use some of the techniques still. Is battle a word? Is that too strong a word right now, or, or is it easier to manage? Is pain still there? Pain is still there. It's part of my process. 
It's nothing as bad as it was once. And when it is that bad in my spurts, I calm that. I'll have a week long of uh, nerve pain usually once a month. And when that occurs, I use communication. I use opioids. I communicate with my providers. I communicate with my spouse. I continue to do my exercise. I function at a less effective state, but I've embraced it. I know it's happening, and I know... It's mine, and I know I can get through it, and I know what techniques I'm going to use. i got to maintain the right choices and make the right decisions to continue to function. And when it passes, I try to pick up the slack that I lost behind, and I continue to go, and I continue to search and research new methods to help with it, and I continue to find them. But primary one, I use a lot of mind-body techniques, and of course I use exercise, but that's for my whole body. I need to get the anxiety release and energy out, and I also use diet. And that's my main methods for preventative flare-ups is what I would like to use in my language of pain. Day-to-day, how to figure out what works and continue to research to find out another answer that might. Something else out there. It's always changing, and uh, I'm always looking and searching. But right now, my function, when I deal with my pain, I'm able to function, and that's okay. I can imagine somebody watching the documentary or listening to this interview and saying, okay, I've had chronic pain in my life. I've struggled with it. I've dealt with it emotionally, but I don't think I can relate to Derek. He was in an extraordinary situation in Iraq, nearly lost his life, lost part of your left leg, and, and thinking, I, I can't relate to that. And yet at the same time, hearing you talk about it, the themes are so obvious. The importance of peer support for you as well as for other chronic pain patients. The importance of being listened to for you as well as other chronic pain patients. Given your experience, when you think about somebody living in pain, no matter what the cause, what would be your advice to that person and to how to deal with that and move forward? The first thing I'd want them to know is to know that they're not alone and that the pain is real, and that's not going to be an answer that they need to hear at that point in time. I could only encourage them to move forward, to embrace, to find out what's inside of them that they to grab onto, to find out an answer, to find out how to function better, how to improve to continue to reach out and not to give up. Worst thing we can do is be sedentary and not move and not move forward and research and learn and, and hope for an answer that can help. Each everyone's pain journey is different. I hear so many things about other veterans that are coping with pain that I just can listen to and offer individualized support. But everybody's pain journey is different. And I, and I only can offer or wish them the best in their journey and that they're not alone and the pain is not in their head, per se. It's real. I just hope they find some relief in their journey. Well, you're certainly an inspiration for them. Derek McGinnis, thank you so much for spending time with us. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Our last guest is physical therapist John Garzione. As we've already heard, physical therapy is just one of the treatment options available to a person with pain. So what does that consist of, and how might that fit into a larger plan of care? Here's John Garzione. Over the course of this episode so far, we've heard about how complex chronic pain can be and how unique it can be for each patient. It's no surprise then that there's no cookie-cutter approach to treating chronic pain. Treatment could include surgery or medication, counseling, alternative medicine, of course, physical therapy, and it might include some combination of the above. John, give me a sense of the role of physical therapy in treating chronic pain. 
in the the role of the chronic pain physical therapist, I mean, we start with when we first see our patient, we get our history of their illness, their medication list, functional deficit questionnaires, how they rate how their pain has affected their function, how they rate their pain. We do our physical therapy evaluation. We look at the range of motion, the strength, neurological status. We also look at previous diagnostic tests such as x-rays, MRIs, lab work. And then we try to discuss with the patient realistic goals and treatment plan based on the patient's perceptions of what's going on. I mean, we know they all want to be pain-free, but if it's not realistic, where are we going with this? We base this on their culture, their past treatments, what's worked, what didn't work. Our treatments then consist of a multi-modality treatment of evidence-guided treatments with the idea we go low and slow and gradually increase intensity of active exercises based on the treatment. We also educate the patient on how the brain and the central nervous system hypersensitivity will play into their chronic pain. And my first comment to them through our evaluation is you can't have pain without a brain. Not that the pain is in your head, but the brain is also perpetuating that. So you mentioned that you'll get the results of previous tests. So what's really helpful to you as a physical therapist to know to be able to try to get to the heart of what the problem is? Well, you know, we we look at the previous diagnosis uh, tests such as MRIs, and after I do my examination, I may look at the MRI differently than a radiologist. A radiologist just sees a film on a disc on the computer screen, and I may be looking at, okay, what do the muscles look like there? What is going on there? And a patient starts to speak, you know, and they, they try to communicate what's going on. We try to just take that time, sit there and listen to them, look at them. We give them as much time as they need and answer their questions as best we can. Communication is a big key and education is a really big key. Many times the physicians are very busy and it's like, okay, you got this disc and that's the way it is. There's nothing we can do. Well, we can actually sit down with them and say, okay, this is where the nerve comes out. This is where the disc is. This is the problem here. But by therapy, by active treatment, this is what we hope to accomplish. That listening has been a theme also that's come across over the course of this episode. In many cases, physical therapy might not be their first option. They've seen one other person, maybe multiple health specialists before they get into physical therapy potentially. So how do you keep their optimism appropriate? Because on the one hand, you want them to believe that they can get better. On the other hand, as you mentioned, they need to set realistic goals for what's possible and completely getting rid of the pain might not be realistic. So how do you deal with that? Well, what I do with my patients is we'll draw on past experiences from other patients. I'm going to instruct my patient on the latest research uh, that's going on with their problem. I also let them know what I have done as far as research or what I'm going to do to help their problem. Everybody is unique, everybody's pain is unique, but there are certain nuances for many people that overlap with others. I use a lot of humor, I use a lot of smart remarks offhanded to try to remain upbeat, but I also take their conversation very seriously. In my mind, I keep repeating to myself, my mantra is, it brought them here, they're serious about this. Yes, we have to remain upbeat, but we also have to put down what can be expected based on previous experience and past patient outcomes. How important is the patient's optimism and belief to getting better? If somebody comes to physical therapy thinking it's not going to work, it can't work, that has to be a significant hurdle, right? 
Yes, it is. And I have two favorite statements that I use. When they start feeling better, I go, OE of little faith, didn't think we could help you. And I also say 90% of this game is half mental. And they stop for a minute going, 90% half mental, what does that mean? And that you really have to get their idea that they have to buy into this. Sometimes they don't at first. And showing them and working with them to show them that it actually is helpful. And it's also not a cookie-cutter approach. And every time we see a patient, we ask them, how are you doing? How did you do after the last treatment? If they say no change, I'll say, okay, I didn't make you worse. Then let's proceed. If they say, I felt worse after, okay, and then we start teasing out how much worse, for how long, is that to be expected, is it not? And that's really how we look at that. The documentary touched on the fact that even though people go through such intense chronic pain, oftentimes they will remain quiet about that pain because they don't want to be a burden on their loved ones. How can we encourage people who have chronic pain to seek help, to realize that they shouldn't settle for living that way? Well, you know, pain sensations are very hard to describe, so people usually expound on adjectives to try to make themselves understood. However, these attempts of pain descriptions make for very poor conversation. I tell people that, look, your loved ones feel helpless. They can't help you. But not only the loved ones, but many healthcare professionals, they tend to try to ignore the person in pain so they don't have to admit to their own inadequacies. Caregivers burn out a lot because of the extra physical and mental burden. And I think it's for me as a physical therapist to bring caregivers in to admit to them it's okay that you cannot do anything, just listen. And if you get tired of listening, then it is time to get somebody else to tag team. You know, it's the same kind of thing with taking care of an elderly parent. People don't want to put them in nursing homes, but there's staff there, there's shifts, because nobody can do it all the time. And to bring this to caregivers and to patients, to know that there are certain times when people just have to walk away or step away. Let's continue on that thought with caregivers. What's a good way of spotting the warning signs, spotting the signs that I need help or that this person needs help? Basically, for me, the big warning sign that I see is the caregiver starts shaking their head, rolling their eyes, and say, I've heard this a million times. Or you've repeated yourself, I can't take this any longer. Or just total withdrawal, where they absolutely say nothing. And then as I see this caregiver withdrawing, I know that this person is now on the verge of burning out. We've got to get them some help as well. We've got to talk to them. We've got to explain to them what's going on, if they can get out of this burnout, or if they can't, if they need help to do that as well. And in counseling, not only does the patient go to counseling, but the caregiver does too, to talk out their feelings. Communication is the big key. One of the things that came across in this documentary is just the number of people who have chronic pain, how significant that is. It's everywhere, and yet it is sort of silent and overlooked in many respects. That's the negative side. Give me a sense of how positive we can be that chronic pain can be treated and improved. You know, we're making new advances every day on what perpetuates chronic pain. The central nervous system now is the big key. Uh, Doing functional MRIs of people in pain versus people who don't have pain, seeing where in the brain things are going, it's exciting. It's really exciting to see people who you didn't think had a snowball's chance in Hades to get better that actually improve get better, their memories come back, and they start functioning in a society. It's absolutely amazing. It just keeps driving us to keep striving for this. It's really a fascinating part of care now because more research is being done.
And even though there are those people that can potentially never totally eliminate pain from their lives, are you also seeing situations with patients who, say, go through years and years of pain and then have a relatively rapid improvement? Yeah, we are seeing a lot of that now since we're doing a lot more of the cognitive therapies. We're doing things of relaxation, meditation, a lot of instruction on home programs to do this. We've also done with transcranial microcurrent stimulation, putting electrodes on the ears to stimulate the deep brain. There's associative awareness techniques that are new out to get people to relax and how to tone down their central nervous system. Encouragement, a lot of encouragement. Yoga has been shown to also improve people. And people who have been in pain for a long period of time, hitting on some of these newer techniques does seem to be a key to help them through their their program. And so maybe as a final thought, if somebody is experiencing chronic pain and they've tried to get help before and it hasn't worked, there are new methods available to help them now that there weren't, say, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago. Is that accurate? That is accurate. And sometimes it takes a whole new approach. There's a whole new approach for somebody who was not being able to be helped five years ago that could be now. And as I study these new approaches, I think about people I had five years ago going, huh, I wonder how they're doing. Because, you know, they, I didn't, I did a lousy job with them uh, five years ago. I'm hoping that it, uh, I could do a better job if I had another opportunity. And sometimes uh, I will call them. Sometimes they'll call me and we'll say, hey, we got this new thing. Can we try So for the person who's out there who is in pain, who is discouraged, what's your final message? My final message is never give up. This does not have to be a way of life unless there is an active process that just continues to cause pain. If it is what we call a chronic pain situation, don't give up on it. Keep plugging away. That's certainly the way I would give uh, any advice to anybody in chronic pain. John Garzion, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. That wraps up this episode of Move Forward Radio. If you're a caregiver for someone with chronic pain, you might be interested in our November 14th episode in which a home health physical therapist provides advice to help family caregivers avoid becoming the ones suffering from exhaustion, frustration, and pain. You can find that episode in all episodes of our show at moveforwardpt.com radio. A final reminder that the Pain Matters feature airs again on December 7th and 14th on the Discovery Channel. You can also watch it online at painmattersfilm.com. If you like this episode, please consider sharing it with your friends and family and rating us on iTunes by searching Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.